Welcome to You Might Hate This Book, where each episode one of us will recommend a book to the other. A book that we love that we suspect our co-host might hate. Well, hate is a strong word. How about falls outside of their traditional scope of interest. Fine, that's fair. A book they would never have chosen to read otherwise. We'll read the assigned book, then come back together to discuss. Did you love it? Or did you hate it? So you agree we might hate it. (sighs) Yeah, you might hate it. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Hannah. And you might hate this book. It's us. It's us. We hope you're enjoying your summer. So have you been doing anything with your summer yet? No. It's only like your first week, so you're probably still just in like decompression mode of like no, doing I'm going, nothing. I go to the office at least twice a week. Brandon and I have our own little schedules because we're both teachers, but like we still have to be doing things. Yeah. So yeah, we both are still going to the office, but it's more chill. You yeah. Know? But meetings are happening and in between that we go swimming with our kids a lot. Yeah. That's pretty much it. When your mom has a pool, that's I know. awesome. And lots of reading. We're both doing lots of reading. He's yes. reading a lot of plays. I'm reading a lot of books and articles about AI. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes. Everyone's favorite. <laughs> uh, anyway. Well, um, we had some listener mail this week. Yay! Our listener very, mail! Our very first, like, proper listener mail. Because everyone... Lots I of feel people, so official. I know. <laughs> lots of people talk to us about the podcast, but they almost all see us in person or just right? have our phone numbers. And right? so people text us constantly about things that we said. I know. We, I love getting our weekly texts from our friend Emily. Yeah, yeah, Emily always puts us on a group message, sometimes Cliff, and other people just, like... Hey, this. Yep. Um, but we got like an email in our inbox. Okay. <laughs> I am so excited to hear this. Okay, so this is from Emily, not the Emily we just mentioned. Different, Different Emily. Emily. I just finished listening to your episode on The Four Winds, and I'm so surprised you didn't mention Interstellar. It's one of my favorite movies, and although it's not a book, it's the epitome of Space Dust Bowl, and I think you should make Hannah watch it. LOL. Um, I can't wait to get some of these books off my TBR list. Thank you for introducing me to genres and books I wouldn't have found otherwise. Love you guys. Oh, thanks, Emily. Thank you, Emily. Have you seen Interstellar? I have seen Interstellar. Space Dust Bowl. How did we miss that? When she said it, I was like, that's so obvious. It is. And she's right. And I actually. I have a, an interesting history with that movie. Did it stress you out to the point that you can't watch it? Well, not exactly. So right when that movie came out, I was working in Savannah, Georgia at a STEM school. And we were trying to do lots of interesting, innovative, cross-curricular things with our students. And we came up with this idea of a storied curriculum where we would have all these cross-curricular connections, but the way we connected these concepts for the students is we had a story that they would live out. And we named our story Nevermore (laughs) because our mascot was the Ravens um, and Poe. And our story was that Earth was going to die and they had to come up with solutions for how we were going to get off Earth and continue our species. Yeah. And so there were elements of this story in their math class, their science class, their English class, their social studies class. And then, like, a year later, this movie came out. And me and all my teacher colleagues were like, wait a minute. Wait. We had this idea first. Which I'm sure we did not. Um, it's pretty basic. But, anyway. That's funny. So, I, every, I've watched it. I've enjoyed it. Fine. I love that movie. It got very, I don't even know the word. Science-y, philosophical, like... With the tesseract and the... I was... Okay. <laughs> yeah, that movie doesn't quite seem like your thing. Uh, Kyle and I love it. We've watched it many, many times. But yeah, that's so... Once she said it, it clicked and I was like, Space Dust Bowl. It it's not a dust bowl in space, but it's a dust bowl that takes you to... That leads is it humanity weird? to being in space. Is it weird that sometimes in my head I get it mixed up with Looper? Have you seen that? I have only seen that once. Me um, too. But... There's, like, scenes of people driving through dirt roads on trucks, and there's a time manipulation element, and I know, like, they're Some not... Some key elements are the same. I don't but... know why. I think it's certain visual images from each one I get mixed up in my head. That makes some sense. 
Yeah. Thanks, Emily. Thanks, Emily, for pointing that out. And thank you so much for writing to us. Yeah. And please, if you're not one of those people who just sticks us on a group chat every week, <laughs> um, <laughs> please email us. We'd love to hear from you. Hate this book pod at gmail.com. Is it hate this book pod or hate this book? Hate this book pod. Hate this book pod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Those are things I should know before I start talking. Um, okay. But yeah, send us more listener mail. We're so glad that we heard from you, Emily. Uh, so this book lends itself to many deep philosophical questions. Yes. So I wrote down a bunch of them, but okay. then I was like, we're going to end up discussing these. So I settled on one. Okay. How many chickens do you think it would take to kill a full-grown zebra? Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I don't know. Are these chickens rabid? I think they're just regular chickens. Is the zebra decrepit in any way? The, Old? Or... The zebra is a, an adult, healthy male zebra. I don't know. Do, do you actually have an answer to this? No! <laughs> <laughs> the correct answer is 20. I was, oh my goodness! I was just about to say, I don't know, 20? <laughs> okay, yep, 20. So what happened was I texted Jennifer. <laughs> yes. I was like, hey, what should I ask Hannah this week? And she was like, I like those really random questions that make no sense. Like, would you rather fight? Her example was, would you rather fight a hundred kindergartners one at a time or five kindergartners at once? <laughs> Definitely the five at once. Get it done. <laughs> <laughs> She was like, but you and Hannah are moms. Maybe you wouldn't want to fight kindergartners. I mean. (laughs) But that question came from Jennifer. Okay, thanks, Jennifer. She was like, these are some of my ideas. And I was like, how many chickens would it take to kill a zebra? I guess 20. Yeah, that's. 20. More than 20 seems like it would be. Some people are just watching, you know, like they're just the bystanders who aren't really helping. Or some of them are just clucking and being distracting. Yeah, like. More than 20, you're not really helping, are you? So you shouldn't be here. We should ask my mother-in-law this. She has chickens. Maybe (laughs) she has some insight. Yeah. She knows how mean they are. Picture something zebra adjacent. How many chickens could overpower that thing? zebras aren't that large. They're not. Really. They're not as large as, like, most horses, I'd say. Yeah, they're, like, compared to horses often, but they're They're smaller. Mm -hmm. Okay. I agree with you about 20 chickens. Mm -hmm. I was really going to say that right before you did. I totally believe you. so funny. I guess it's our tendency to think in round numbers. <laughs> I mean, 19 would just feel weird. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there really were lots of philosophical questions about this book, but I decided there to just were. lead in with... Thanks, I appreciate that. Yeah. It's more summary. <laughs> Fluffy. I don't know. Thanks, Jennifer. So I guess I need to talk about this book. Yep. Um, Half Sick of Shadows by Laura Sebastian. Arthur, heir to the throne, has been hiding out in Avalon until such a time that the current king, Pendragon, which is a cool name, dies. When that time comes, Arthur leaves Avalon with his best friend Lancelot, his betrothed Guinevere, his half-sister Morgana, and his friend Elaine. When the crew arrive in Camelot, only to learn that the throne has been promised to Pendragon's bastard son, Mordred. They enroll the help of the wizard Merlin to help Arthur secure the throne, Um, But Arthur will have to complete a set of tasks that prove his worth as ruler. But all of that is actually the B-plot. Half Sick of Shadows is a feminist retelling of Tennyson's poem, The Lady of Shalott, which is part of the King Arthur Cosmere, Sure, I'll I'll say. Mythos. (laughs) Um, So most everyone's familiar with, like, King Arthur and the typical cast of characters, the knight Lancelot and the sorceress Morgana and beautiful Guinevere. So this story serves... This book serves as a backstory and context for the characters that are usually tangential to Arthur's story, especially the women. So we read through the story through the eyes of Elaine, who is the Lady of Shalott, and a talented seer who is cursed with the ability to see the future. We follow Elaine and the rest of the Arthurian cohort from Avalon to Camelot, where they plan to aid Arthur in his destiny as king. However, Elaine is burdened with the knowledge that each of them, no matter what they do, seem to meet tragic ends, and those ends are drawing nearer and nearer. Um, The title of this book comes from a line in the middle of the original poem, The Lady of Shalott, um, when she is mourning the fact that she's stuck in her tower and only sees the world as shadows in a mirror, and she says, I am half sick of shadows, before leaving her tower and greeting her fate. That is my pretty long summary of this book, but I just 
felt like I had to explain it. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to say up at the top, too. I know, I know I'm an English teacher, but the Arthurian legend is not something I feel particularly well-versed in. Right. I mean, I'm aware of it. Yeah. But never did I dig into it on my own. Never did I take a class solely devoted to it. To it. Um, I got much more into Greek mythology, I think, when I was a student, and then later, like, Victorian literature, and I just kind of skipped to Jane Austen. And yeah. so, you know, Sir Thomas Mallory and everyone else who is writing the, you know, quintessential Arthurian legend books, I kind of skipped over those. That's fine. <laughs> and, and it's a legend with, like, a lot of variation. Yes. There's certain texts that are seen as as very fundamental or foundational, but there's a lot of variation even amongst those, and so... Apparently, it's, even this poem was rewritten and the yes, ending changed. It's, and like, it's one of those that's it's good for authors to play with, or it lends itself to being played with by authors because it has so many variations yeah. and so many things you can do. Like, I believe Morgana is based on Morgan Le Fay. Yeah. Right. Okay. And Mordred wasn't Arthur's half-brother, but, like, his son or nephew. I think he was yeah. his nephew. I don't know. It Again. was definitely a different character than what it is in this yes book. and i think the way she portrays elaine is actually combining two different elaines from the arthurian legend one that was with lancelot and one that was not yeah anyway i'm also not familiar with yeah. arthurian legend i haven't read any of it really except for the poem the lady of shalott yeah um, some of our listeners will for sure be more familiar yeah. with the source material of this book than we are so just want you all to know that. So if we're like, <laughs> I think it's like this, and you're screaming at your phone, like, that's not what it is. Yeah. Sorry, like, Sorry. up front, we don't actually know. I've seen the movie King Arthur, um, the Guy Ritchie movie starring Charlie Hunnam. I've never even seen A Knight's Tale with Heath Ledger. What? Like, I don't, I just don't seek out Camelot Arthurian stories in my... That's a thing unto itself, though. I I know. Hannah. I don't know. I just... <laughs> I'm so upset. I, and I didn't do it on purpose. It wasn't like a thing where I was like, no, this is not my bag. But... Will you allow us to fix it? Yeah, I mean, we can. Again, I'm not averse to it. <laughs> I've just never just... been intentional. Has Brandon not seen it? Yeah, like we own it because he owned it when we got married. And I've still I was going to say, has it. he never made you watch it? No. It's a classic. I know. Okay, well... I might not be able to move past that, but <laughs> sorry. There's so much more pressure. I with know this way. Isn't like, there? just to remind everybody. Oh yeah, <laughs> we assigned each other books for the beginning of June that we thought the other would like. Yeah. So now I'm like, oh man, what if she really didn't like it? Did you give it a three? I gave it a three point five. Okay, that's. I, it was fine. It was a. It was a fine book. Um. I think I gave it three on Goodreads, but, like, when I was writing my notes up. Yeah. 3.5. I Upon finishing, I wrote, it was fine for what it is, but it wasn't a home run for me. It was engaging at times and had some interesting themes that I enjoyed thinking about. Yeah. But, again, I'm not super familiar with the source material, really just through osmosis and, like, being... Being alive. <laughs> yeah, an English person. Um, not even an English teacher. So, it the first thing, it was hard for me to get into. Really? At first. Like, I, it wasn't that it was bad. It was just, like, I probably wouldn't have kept reading it if it hadn't been for the podcast. It mm -hmm. just didn't catch my interest immediately. Yeah. It did further on. Um, and that might have just been me, the timing, like, beginning of summer. Yeah. And I wanted something faster. Yeah. I don't think this is a fast book. I would not call it fast. No. It's no. over 400 Which pages. Which is part of the reason why I thought you might like it is because... Yeah. Again, maybe it's just timing. Um, and because I don't know a lot of the source material, I probably didn't pick up on a lot of things that somebody who's really into the Arthurian legend and Camelot retellings would be really fascinated with. It jumps tense a lot, mm -hmm. which was hard to follow at first. And I did a hybrid read, again, where some of the time I read it on the page and some of the time I listened to the audio. And it became very apparent to me that it was especially difficult to listen to on the audio. Yeah. With the jumps and tense. This book is told in all three tenses, past, present, and future. Yeah. Because our main character, it's first person, and Elaine is a seer. So sometimes you're getting her memories from when she was growing up on Avalon with the rest of the characters. Sometimes you're getting her visions of the future that have not happened yet, and then sometimes you're in the present. Yeah. And I think that's a cool idea and very ambitious. <laughs> yeah. 
Laura Sebastian, so good on you. I think it could have been done a little more cleanly and seamlessly. Yeah. To be more, to just be easier to follow. Because especially the audio, the jumps sometimes were, took me aback and I had to like back up and start re-listening because I lost my orientation. Yeah, I, I didn't listen to any part of it, but I wonder if like, some kind of change in voice or something or I mean which is hard because it's all her voice yeah I and I was just thinking like sometimes they change narrators but there would be no need to because it's her voice but yeah it it needs to be very clear we're in the past we're in the present we're in the future um and on the page I could follow that more yes. easily on the page there were page breaks yeah but I don't think those page breaks were even used exclusively for tense changes they were also used in the way page breaks usually are of just like we're skipping ahead or we're going to somewhere else in the plot um so i don't know if like switching chapters even would have been better i thought i remembered that it switched chapters every time but now that you're saying that it it didn't sometimes it was mid-chapter yeah Hmm. um she had a tendency to like end chapters with a vision and then kind of like this dun 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 sentence (laughs) of will this occur you know um so that was a little bit hard to follow. I had to kind of get into it, and I think reading on the page for this book is better than listening to the audio. I started getting into this book once our cohort of five characters left Avalon and actually went to Camelot. I feel like that's when I really started getting into the book. Yeah. There was some political intrigue happening. I mean, just things were happening, yeah. basically. Until then, you're just a lot in Elaine's head and learning about the characters through past occurrences, future visions. But when they get to Camelot, it really started to pick up. And the moment I really got engaged was when we got to Guinevere's home. That's when it really got me too. Yes, that was that was my favorite part. But I guess I'll get into that later. I'll save the good the goodies for the end. Okay. The other thing that I didn't love about this book that made it not a home run for me was the ending. And I was really interested to talk to you about the ending. Okay. Because I had very mixed feelings about it, just like I think you had mixed feelings about Speak. Yeah. Okay. I know the story of the Lady of Shalott. We all know that story. She drowns herself. So I get it. I get the ending that she does drown herself, but it felt weird to me. (laughs) (laughs) Because there were so many other changes in the story, and it almost felt like it was glorifying suicide. Because the reason she drowns herself is to save her friends. She knows a lot of the future paths that they could take. And so she decides to preempt all of them by, in a way, sacrificing herself to the water to, you know, drown herself. And she does not know at the time that she's not actually going to die. It's going to cause her to become the Lady of the Lake. Mm -hmm. But... The reason she's doing it is to free all of her friends of her. She thinks, if I can take myself out of the equation, then all of these horrible futures I have foreseen will not occur. Mm -hmm. And that just didn't sit well with me. It seemed noble, I guess, and it is a twist on the ending we already know she has. So unless you wanted to change her ending entirely, I don't know how else you could have ended it, but it still just felt weird. No, I see what you're saying, and especially, like, in light of last week's book, even. Right. Um, I didn't read it that way, but I see what you're saying now that you say it. To me, it was more like, I mean, the first sentence of the book is, I will die drowning. It right. has always been known. Right. Um, so I like to think that if she didn't know she was going to die drowning, that she wouldn't have had that idea. That even if all this other stuff had happened and she was like, I want to preempt whatever, I like to think that if she didn't know she was going to die drowning, she wouldn't have chosen that. It's like she became a self-fulfilling prophecy because Mm -hmm. she knew this was how she was going to end. Yes. That's why she chose that. And so that was more of a commentary to me on what choices do you make when you know the future. But yeah, she was essentially... Sacrificing. Yeah, sacrificing herself. Which is a better word than suicide. Yeah, but but in order to remove herself from the lives of other people, which is sometimes what people with suicidal ideations think. Right. It just felt weird. And that's also another issue I had with the book, the prophecy of her drowning. You get this sense that some prophecies are set in stone. 
Like they are 100%, you cannot change them. And then others are flexible. And there was just a lot about the magic system of being an oracle that felt fuzzy to me, that I didn't mm-hmm. quite understand. And I don't know if that was intentional because she doesn't understand them or... Yeah, but that's true. Like, what's the difference between one that you can change and one that you can't? What Right. For a while, I was reading just to see, okay, how are you going to resolve this? Because she also made it seem like the affair between Lancelot and Guinevere was almost unavoidable but then she would see one path where it was avoidable and so I was wondering so can she not die drowning or will it be not her choice or somebody the whole theme of it was that it was her choice and that she did it a lot sooner than even the previous lady of the lake thought that she would and so changed the course of history in that way through the timing of her choice Mm -hmm. which was interesting Um, But yeah, I just thought it was strange. And I also didn't understand the very, very ending when she meets up with Guinevere and Arthur and Morgana and Arthur is dying and they take him back to Avalon. And Morgana makes this vague reference about a recycled life. And I just don't know what happened to Arthur. I just don't know what happened at the end. Do you have any insight? Can you explain that? (laughs) Do you remember what I'm talking about? I don't remember what you're talking about. And now I'm really hate that because I'd like to offer you insight. I even Googled it and couldn't really find a resolution. I didn't spend that long on it. But that was one of the visions that she had that the previous Lady of the Lake kind of told her this is always going to happen. Arthur's always going to die on this battlefield. Mordred's always going to be the one to deliver the final blow. But she had had multiple visions of taking him in a boat back to Avalon with the other two women. And she makes a comment about how we can delay his death or something like that. And Morgana doesn't seem on board with it. And she says, well, doesn't he deserve peace? And she makes the comment of him having a recycled life. I'm like, so does he come back as other world leaders? I'm Mm. my brain's going all different places. Interesting. I want to know what the ending meant, Miss Sebastian. I think that I took it to mean like we're going to repurpose him. Not that he'll, like, not in a reincarnation way, but instead of trying to make him king, which his entire life was about, he deserves peace. Let's take him to Avalon, and he will be repurposed. Now he just gets to be a person. Mordred will be king. All that stuff that we thought that was Arthur's destiny, that's going to be someone else's now. He's not built for that anymore. So, like, he'll live on Avalon for a little bit before he actually dies? That's how I took it, is... Yeah, repurposing this husk of a person yeah. um, and turning him into something else that maybe suits him better. Sure. I don't know. Maybe. That, that Now that you have reminded me of this, I remember that that's how I interpreted it. It wasn't It was definitely not clear. And yeah. perhaps that is the point. I don't know. But I was confused. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As far as the characters go, Elaine was fine. As the voice of the story, my least favorite of our cohort of five was Lancelot. Oh, yeah. He just felt very stereotypical, very wooden, like, I'm the big jock guy coming in. He did it. I don't feel like Sebastian did as much with his character and reimagining it as she did with all the other characters. Yeah. Basically. So that was another con for me. He just seemed very tropey, dumb, lovable jock. Who doesn't know who his dad is? And has to go, like literally, that's part of his quest. He's like, go find out who my dad is. Um, Hope you find your dad. Oh my god, bye, buddy. Hope you find your yeah. dad. And the final thing that made this not a home run for me, and then we'll get to the pros because I do have pros. Is you mentioned in your summary, and I saw this in a lot of reviews, a feminist retelling or revisionist. Camelot story. I don't think it works as a feminist revision story. Really? It still was so focused on the men. Even though you're telling the story from the perspective of the women, and she gave them more of a story than in the traditional Arthurian legends, it was still all about the men, specifically Arthur. It was everything. Everything came back to Arthur at all costs. We're going to protect Arthur at all costs for all three of the women, and even Lancelot. Like... And Elaine's whole story was either focused on how am I going to help Arthur be king or how am I going to get to love Lancelot? There was no, like, her own choice. Even at the end, her choice to drown herself is to save all of them and specifically to make sure Arthur is successful as king. 
Mm-hmm. So the fact that it was still so focused on the men's success and that she so very quickly discarded the idea that she and Gwen and Morgana could change Camelot. Mm-hmm. Because that was something that they, she tried to convince the other two, hey, we can go back to Camelot and we can make change. Because when Arthur's king, we know him, he's our friend, we can make change for women in the court. And that is so quickly discarded yeah. that it was very disappointing. And so while it is an interesting retelling of the story, I don't think it works as a feminist revision okay. of it. I think that's a, a higher accolade than perhaps it, it is. All right. Not that it's bad in yeah, and of itself. But that is what it's claiming to be. Right. So we definitely get more of the women. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the things I liked. Okay. Because I liked these women. My very favorite character in the whole story, you wanna guess? Guinevere. Absolutely. <laughs> she was so much fun. And that is the moment in the story that I enjoyed the most, and I started really reading and not wanting to put the book down. So Guinevere is from the country? Kingdom? I don't know. <laughs> of Leoness. Yeah. And that is, an, I looked it up, it's an actual kingdom in the Arthurian legends, but I don't think she was from there. I think that's Sebastian's retelling of it. And she has made comments while they've grown up on Avalon that, oh, Arthur could never survive in Leoness. Leoness is all about power and who can control the throne the longest. It's not about bloodlines. It's about the strongest will survive. You get this very Spartan vibe. Yeah. Like, who can take control? And she also can't sleep a lot at night. And Elaine will find her wandering around the island. And she's very restless. She's very wild, very fierce, very interesting character. And the way I'm summarizing it, you might be able to tell where I'm going. (laughs) I did not see this coming. But when they get to Leoness to go, that's one of Arthur's tasks set to him by Merlin. He has to go subdue this heathen country and he of course has in his back pocket oh well Gwen loves me so this will be easy yep and he gets there and she's like no 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 I can't marry you I gotta stay here bye you should have never come because it turns out they're all werewolves (laughs) (laughs) which sounds dumb when I say it but it isn't it is not the way it is written is so cool and it was terrifying yeah I was scared I did not expect this to be like a horror book but I was like oh no this is this is bad. The whole, like, night fight outside. Oh, man. And it's it has slightly different rules regarding werewolf lore. They only transform under the full moon and only in the kingdom of Leoness. Like, if they are on property of the Leoness kingdom, they will turn into werewolves if they're of Leonesian blood. That's why Elaine was restless on a- Avalon but never transformed. She yeah. was not in her home country. And they have co-opted their sickness or whatever you want to call it to a form of justice in their kingdom if you break the law well you get to be the object of the werewolves hunt for (laughs) the night that they transform which is horrifying yep but that is how they justify it and gwen's character was so interesting to me because she does embrace that wild side Mm -hmm. and i picture her with like sticks in her hair yes and she feels so free when she is, and I just thought that was so interesting. I really thought about that for a long time. And of course, the other girls obviously point out to her, yeah, but what you're doing is not okay. <laughs> and she gets that, but just that idea of this female character trying to embrace this more brutal side, this more fierce side, fearless side. She does a lot of talk about the difference between bravery and fearless. And that was really interesting to me. And it was yeah. just terrifying. And so I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, and I like the choices that her character makes based on this character that she's established in the original. I mean, this is some of my notes, but whatever. Um, in the original, Guinevere leaves Arthur or cheats on him or whatever. And right. so she's just like the treacherous wife. Well, in this one, she's her She's the ruler of her own kingdom. Yes. She leaves because she also has a kingdom to rule. Right. And... She wants to be home. She misses her home because it has this very specific culture that she cannot participate in if she's not physically present. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just like, I'm fickle and I will wander off with a different man. Right. She doesn't stick by Arthur's side because she has something she's much more loyal to. She's incredibly loyal, just not necessarily to Arthur at all She's very loyal to her father, who is the king, when we first 
go to her kingdom. And he, it was so interesting the way Sebastian wrote these werewolf characters because as they get older, it's harder for them to make the transformation back and forth. So when they meet her dad, he's like wolfy. He's wolfy. Like he's not, he's not transformed into a werewolf, but he's also not a hundred percent human either. Yeah. And they're looking at him trying to figure out like, what's going on with this guy? With your face, man. <laughs> and he's scary, but she loves him and she is loyal to him. And that is her father. And, yeah, that sense of home that she has there. I'm from a very large family that grew up in a specific area of Indiana. And whenever I go back there, like, I feel that. Not to this extent, obviously. <laughs> and then you hunt no, someone no. who has wronged you. It's not what the Hoyts do. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that, that feeling of this is my home and this is where I'm from and this is part of my culture and it's part of me. And just because there are some problems with it, I can't erase the fact that it is still a part of me. Yeah. She is still Leonesian, and she's always going to be restless under the full moon, even if she's not there participating in that ritual. Yeah, and I might be remembering this incorrectly, but, like, it comes down to Arthur and Gwen are supposed to fight to the death. Yes. And she seems essentially pretty willing to do this. She's like, I don't love it, but I will fight you, bro. She tried to avoid it because she knew that's what would happen. Yeah. That's why she told him, don't come here. Yeah. But, like, it was not very traditional feminine, like, oh, no, I would never. I love him so much. She no. was like, I don't know. You made a mistake by crossing this the border, and it if was, I have to kill you, I will. It was just so much more interesting of a choice. Like, she, it wasn't black and white. She had to make a choice. She didn't want to do either thing, but she yeah. had she had to pick, and so she did, and it wasn't easy, but she did it. Yeah, I really liked her character, too. Yeah, so I liked her. I also loved Morgana. Yeah. She was just feisty and fun. I feel like Sebastian could have done more with her. Mm -hmm. At one point, when Elaine is contemplating the future, and she actually, I think, tells Morgana, you are either going to be... Arthur's downfall, or you're going to bolster him, one or the other. And I was just like, why does it have to be so binary? You know, like, yeah. Gwen's was a lot more interesting, and there was a lot more nuance to her choices, I thought. But Morgana the whole time is just like, either you're going to try and hurt Arthur, or you're going to help him. And there's not any in-between. And I hated that for that character, because she was so interesting. Well, and I would blame that on Elaine, like, oh, sure. Uh, not necessarily so much on the writing, but on Elaine. Like, in so many of her visions, Morgana is trying to kill Arthur. And right. Elaine's like, I don't want you to do that. So how can I avoid this one outcome? But, like, Morgana does help him. And she also <laughs> does, like... Yes. She actually does live out a more complicated narr narrative that's not so binary. It's Elaine who's telling her you only get these two choices and that's, that's just not accurate. Like It's not. And the reason that Morgana, if I remember correctly, like even wants to do that is because she thinks that Arthur has done something really wrong and she has to fix it. She's right. not just like, I want to go kill a guy. So, oh, of course. And especially the person she loves. I mean, that's her brother. She's yeah. taking care of him. So even when she's doing the quote-unquote bad thing, it's because she has this ethical standard that she feels like she's mm -hmm. fulfilling. So it's Elaine that put her in this box of like Morgana is, is either going to be helpful or evil and she's she's both and neither and right. Yeah. Yeah. I and that brings me to I think one of the strengths of this book is the themes that it's trying to convey. Yeah. And it and some of the ways that it deviates from the Arthurian legend the most is where it's the most interesting to me. Yeah. Elaine's character is an oracle. She is a seer. That is something I have never seen or encountered in anything else. Yeah. I am, again, not very well versed, but I didn't know of anything in the Arthurian legend like that. And that allowed the author to think a lot about the theme of our choices and how they affect our future. And the idea that we're all pawns if we let ourselves be, but also our choices are not binary. That is Elaine's big moment when she does decide to go drown herself and sacrifice herself for her friends. She's like, oh, this whole time I've trying to been fo I've been focused on these two paths, Arthur's success or downfall. But she's like, if I just take this third way and remove myself, then who knows what's going to happen? I certainly don't because it hasn't happened yet. That was her big climactic moment of understanding 
And I liked that theme. I liked thinking about if you knew the future, trying to prevent that those bad futures or make the good futures come true isn't going to work most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> You're just making the future by making those choices. Yeah, like... it, it was just so interesting and in how you would see some of her visions change after certain things happened. Mm-hmm. That was interesting to me. I read some one-star reviews. They hated that part of it. They mm-hmm. thought it was boring. But I thought it was very interesting. Yeah, I really about. liked that part. And there were several visions that she had where it's like, these things are basically for sure going to happen. But they could happen in a bunch of different ways. But they pretty much always happen. Yes. And I liked thinking about which things are destined to happen, but they can get there any of a thousand ways. Right. And so, yeah, Morgana trying to kill Arthur was one of those things where, like, sometimes it changes just a little bit. Right. But it pretty much is always happening. And the Guinevere and Lancelot thing, that's pretty much always happening. Just sometimes it happens later. Sometimes it happens in this way. Sometimes they way. catch them. Sometimes they hear about it. Yeah. yeah. Even the final vision of Arthur in the boat going back to Avalon as he's dying, she says sometimes it's just her in the boat with him. Sometimes she's with Morgana. Sometimes Guinevere's there, too, or any mixture of those three. Yeah. But it's always him in the boat going back to Avalon. Yeah. Um And then sometimes she would get extended visions after something happened. You would know she'd had this vision in the past, and then a plot point happened, and then she would have it again. And be able to see further. Right, and that was interesting. And just her whole dilemma, the whole book, it's a very internal book. Yeah. You're in her head, and she's trying to think through, okay... And she has this knowledge, this secret knowledge, that she's not allowed to tell any of the people involved that she loves because she knows by telling them she can force them down those paths. But she has to act in a way, I don't know, just, I would not want to be her. It (laughs) would be so hard. (laughs) No. And I found that very interesting. Um, The other thing that I really liked about this book was the incorporation of the Fae. Yeah. The Fae culture. So on Avalon, where the five main characters are growing up, they just live among the Fae. And they're always on the outskirts of all these legends, but they're very central to this book. Yeah. And I really enjoyed it, and I particularly want to read a couple paragraphs. Um, This is over halfway through the book. They're already back on Camelot, and they're dealing with all the political brouhaha. And Elaine is thinking about her time that she spent on Avalon, and she says... I began to grow accustomed to the Fae as well, though I'm still not sure when or how that happened. One day I was forcing myself not to stare at them, and the next I managed an entire conversation about the weather with a woman before noticing her moth wings or the antennas protruding from her forehead. The Fae who dominated the horror stories I heard as a child slowly receded from my memory, replaced with the Fae I saw every day, who laughed with their friends and ate the same food I did and had families they loved. I thought that if the people back in Albion could understand that the Fae were more like them than not, maybe there wouldn't have had to be so much bloodshed. And perhaps that was naive. Perhaps we would always see differences before similarities. Perhaps we would always look for reasons to fight instead of reasons to coexist. I love that. I love that. And I definitely saw the analog there the humans and the fae as an analog to just other culture clashes that we have seen throughout history Mm -hmm. that we see these different cultures as so other as other as non-magic and magic beings would be but when you actually go spend time with them you realize oh they may look different and speak different and act different but well, we have so much in common. Yeah, like at the end of the day, they go home to their families and they eat dinner together and they fall right. in love and they fall out of love and they do the things like they're just like us. Because that's what a lot of the pol- politics in this story is based on. A- magic is outlawed. You can't. Yeah, magic because is the fae, it's, it's bad and crazy. And so like all right. of these women who have magical abilities of some kind right. are ostracized, you know, because they're like that. Yes, and so I enjoyed that aspect of this story as well, um, which made it really fun and interesting to think about. So I did enjoy reading it. Good. I I did enjoy it, yep. I'm glad that you liked several things about it. I I, did. I do understand the things you had about it. Like, I also thought it was a little slow at the beginning. Um, I don't remember struggling with the tenses, but I can totally see how that would happen. Yeah, if Um, you're going to read it, read it in text form. Yeah, and, like, Elaine wasn't my favorite character necessarily. I just liked what the... I liked the themes of the book so much I didn't care as much about the rest of the stuff. So 
this is maybe the book that has the most themes for me of any of the books we've talked about. And I wrote down several of them. Um, I think the first, sorry, was that like all you had to say? No, no, I'm done. I'm done. Um, the first theme I feel like we come to is, is it more painful to experience your flaws or to suppress who you are? Because uh, yes. Elaine is a seer, so she has these fits and she sees things. And her mother is also a seer and knows how that can, you know, her mother sees it as a bad thing. And right. so gives Elaine these potions so that she doesn't have them. It's essentially poison. And so, I mean, I feel like that's relevant to so many other things. Like, is it better to just let yourself be yourself and work within the confines of who you are mm -hmm. or just shove it all down and like poison it out of yourself and her mother approached it in this very different way of like i will beat this out of you you are not going to be a seer right. and like yeah being a seer is not that much fun i should know i did not want to know the future after reading this book yeah um but elaine is like it is who i am and it is what i do it does come with pain but i'd rather be doing that because it's what I am than taking this medicine. Well, and I think with that too, again, it's not binary. She had to learn from the Lady of the Lake how to control this and yeah. how to interact with other people having this secret knowledge yeah. so that she didn't harm them. Just like Guinevere had to learn how to regulate her transformations and how the whole kingdom used it for justice, <laughs> quote unquote. Um, so there's that too, that you can't just be completely unrestrained for the sake of the people you love, but you should still be able to experience who you really are. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I mean, I think that's true of so many things. Like, Right. Just a balance. Yeah. I'm not as familiar with the uh, source text, but I read a lot of things that were like, Elaine or the Lady of the Lake is always just, she's depressed. Like that's mm -hmm. how she's presented is as a depressed person. Yes. And I feel like we get a lot of nuance to that. Elaine so is kind of a sad entity because she sees how everyone in her life who she loves is going to hurt each other and her and die. And she has to sit in front of these people knowing these things and not talk to them about it. She spends more time isolated because she is scrying with some of that time. And then she just like, this is something I can't talk to you about. You're my best friend, but I can't tell you this like thing that mm -hmm. I know about you. Uh, yeah, maybe she's a little distant and depressed. I mean, she's got a burden. Yeah, well, that, I was just going to say, I never saw her as depressed. I saw her as burdened. Mm -hmm. She was very burdened with her power. She knew there was a lot of good she could do with it, but also understood the burden. And But she didn't seem depressed to me because of it. Yeah, just I mean. Just tired. Just in the original story i've heard that she's just yes. always portrayed as depressed and so i felt like this was a nuance on that of like no she's not like the life of the party person but there's reasons for why she yes. is the way she is she's more reserved she's standoffish from people she's obviously going to have some like trust issues with everyone she meets because she can see stuff before it happens yes this was a more interesting choice yeah i liked the theme of like are some are some people and their fates just inherently more important than other people's? Like Oh, like Arthur? Like Arthur, yeah. But I mean, I think about this all the time. <sighs> Such a weird thing to say and think. But like, if someone from another country came over and killed you, we would not go to war with that country over just you. That would be very sad. But like, the United States would be like, it's one person. Right. That's sad. If it were the president, we would probably go to war with that country. But, like, it's just, in both cases, it's just one person. Right. And, like, I would argue that more people probably like you inherently than they like any president <laughs> at any given point in time. Because, pres like... But do as many people even know me? I mean, like, no, but, like, you're an innocent. I mean... Sure. But you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, it is weird to think about. And, like, there's a secret service who, like, there are... 50 people whose job on earth is to take a bullet for this one person. But like... But I, is it because that one person is a symbol of something else? Like we make people yes. into symbols. I'm yes. not a symbol of anything In really. In that case, like the president is more of a symbol of our 
democracy. <laughs> I mean, if somebody were to come kill me, you'd just be like, they're a crazy murderer. If they go yeah. assassinate I mean, like, the president... I do understand the difference between yeah. assassinating you... But the point and... <laughs> you bring up is an interesting Yeah, one. but, like, why does one individual life just, like, count for more? And all of these other people in this book, their fates... They just pass up on their fates, except for Guinevere, who's like, no, I would like my fate. I'm supposed to be queen, and I'm going to go do that. Right. Um, but everyone's just like, Arthur's fate matters the most. And, like, he doesn't even do that great of a job at his thing. It's just like... He's got charisma? Yeah, okay, cool. But I think the answer to your question is because we've made people into symbols. Yeah. I think that's why that ha I mean, Arthur was a symbol before he was even born. Yeah. Because he was the son of Uther Pendragon. Pendragon. That's a great name. <laughs> Obviously, the theme of if you know the future, right. what is your ethical obligation with that information to this try is a and super fun thought exercise? Try and stop people from doing things. If you knew how you would die, would it change how you live? I, d I don't want to know. Yeah, I don't know. I almost asked you the question: Would you rather know? Would you rather know exactly when you were going to die, but know it was going to be peaceful, or not know when you were going to die, but know it was going to be tragic and painful? Oh no! I that's and a I didn't, horrible question. And I didn't. Instead, I asked you about zebras and chickens. I like that question better because I really don't have an answer. Yeah, I mean, the whole time I was like, if I knew exactly, if you knew you were gonna drown, do you just avoid water? Like, but then but, this begs the question: Okay, if I know I'm gonna die in my sleep when I'm 83, am I gonna do boneheaded things that are reckless that might actually alter that? Yeah, because I have so much confidence. I can jump off of this. I know I'm gonna live until I'm 83. Yeah, like. I think if I knew the future, I'd just be paralyzed all the time. Yeah, for sure. I don't think I could handle it. Mm -hmm. I'm, But it's crazy to think about. It is. It is often our friends, not our enemies, who destroy us. Yes. All of these people have so many enemies, and it's just them that keep messing with each other. I know. Like, it it's could... very sad. <sighs> then we think of all the high schoolers I've taught, and I'm like, guys, <laughs> the world is cruel. Be nice to each other. Yeah, for real. Would you be with someone if you knew that eventually you would make each other miserable? Because she has all of these that things about Lancelot where she, like, knows that he ends up cheating on her. And so, like, years before that, she's, you know, dating him, essentially, and knowing that they're eventually going to break each other's hearts. Yep. Do you do it for the joy of when it's good? Or... I don't or know. Or for that one hope. She sees, out of all the possible futures, there's one where they're, like, old and happy living in a seaside hut. And yeah. so it's like, do you hang on to that one? Yeah. Or, like, all the good moments good enough that even when the bad thing happens, it was worth right. it. Like, right. I don't know. I, I, again, I don't want to be a seer. I don't. Me neither. That is what we have learned. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> good to know. Yep. So I, I did think that there... I don't know. I agree with you now that you say it. The story was still all about the Arthur. Men. Yeah, I was like, I love that it's a feminist retelling. It definitely takes several steps closer in that direction. Yes. By giving voice to the women who, in the traditional story, don't have much of a voice and are painted as either treacherous or uh, bitter De or depressed. depressed. Yeah. yeah, like they all have this like thing that is about them. None of these women are damsels in yeah. distress. But their life is still centered on Arthur. Part of what I saw feminism in that is like you realized how much behind every man is a woman or many women. In this case, three. Doing right? a lot of the work. Like, Arthur could not have succeeded without the three of them consistently helping him with in magical ways like they yes. were not just like you got it buddy they were like doing things behind the scenes that really changed and so to me that was like the subtle feminism of like recognizing that the foundations of even the most powerful men like are often women who just don't get credit for the things that they're doing and then it's interesting too that they all genuinely loved and cared about him they did yeah like they're doing it because they cared about And they him. wanted to. Yeah. Sort of. I mean, they act like they want to, but then Elaine also acknowledges they were all kind of groomed for this. Yeah. I think I think Guinevere's story is very feminist. I mean, yes. they're essentially like, I have a career as a king and you have a career as a queen, but you should give yours up and come be by my side and be my arm candy while I'm king. And she's like, nah, I got a kingdom. I don't know why your kingdom and your crown would be more important than mine. Mm -hmm. Love that for you. Mm -hmm. So 
I think Gwen is feminist and Morgana is like, I might know better than you, Arthur. Right. I might have better ideas. I might be smarter. I might have better ethics. And if it comes down to it, I will take over and I will take this from you if you cannot use it responsibly. So I think she's feminist. Elaine, who we're hearing things from, she's the one who makes her life about the men in a way that's not as powerful. I saw her story as like, a struggle she was like not the hero in this story because she's surrounded by people with way more strength way more charisma way more ambition even magic yeah like she's the ron of this story like (laughs) everybody else is hairy and she's like i was also there yeah sure uh always the hero's best friend never the never the hero themselves and so i would agree that like elaine is not a particular feminist icon, but that Gwen and Morgana can be. I would be interested in reading this book from Gwen's perspective. Oh, same. Mm-hmm. I really did like the way it was written with the scenes of the past, present, and future, and how not all the future ones come true and we get those repeated visions. Right. Um, so we get these glimpses into alternate timelines. I really liked that. And I thought it was kind of a reimagining of the hero's story. Like, Arthur is obviously the hero in the original text. But seeing all this behind-the-scenes stuff of how much other people do for him on this journey, um, I just liked seeing that stuff, just reimagining how the hero is a hero. I particularly think that was evident in the pulling the sword from the stone, Excalibur, Mm -hmm. because we all know that story. Yeah, Disney's made a movie of it, whatever. But the only way he can do it is by drawing on the magic of his four best friends. He's only able to do that very... Like quintessentially Arthurian. Yes, this this thing we all know about. He pulls the sword from the stone. He only did it because they helped him. Yeah. Through magic, so nobody else knew, but... Yeah. Right. But I just really liked seeing the way in which the hero is actually rather average. You're just an average person with a lot of resources. And these resources happen to be... Friends. Yeah. Relationships. Yeah. That's a cool idea. Yeah. Because, like, couldn't anyone be the hero with enough resources behind them? And in this case, it's Arthur. But, like, he would have just been an average guy who Mm -hmm. got exiled if he hadn't had these friends. And he could have come back to try to be king and he would have immediately failed. Yeah. They would have been like, no, we picked a different guy. And he'd be like, oh, man. I think he was a bit interesting, too, because... I think he would have liked to have just stayed on Avalon reading his books. He seemed like he wanted to do that. (laughs) Yes, but he was, he knew what he was born to do and he was willing to make a lot of sacrifices to do it. And also being the Ron with the, these crazy good people around him and he's the average guy. He never seemed jealous. Yeah. In this book, which was nice. Yeah. He was pretty authentically likable. Like Mm -hmm. even with everyone throwing their efforts behind him, I would probably get annoyed with this person if they were anything but very humble. (laughs) And he was very humble. Yeah, if he had had, like, the least bit of conceit to him, I would have been like, oh, you're driving me crazy. She did a good job with him. Yeah. He could have been very icky, but he was not. Yeah, so I liked that. And Mm -hmm. maybe that makes it more palatable that these women do dedicate so much of their life to helping him. He's authentically good. It's yes. very sad when women dedicate so much yes. of their life to a person who's specifically a man who's not good right. and does not deserve their help. I think they understand and really see the goodness in him. Yes. And that's why they put so much of their efforts that's true. into him. That's true. I only know a little bit about Laura Sebastian, but I learned that she grew up in South Florida and attended Savannah College of Art and Design. I saw that on the book jacket. Which is where Hannah's husband Brandon went. Um, So I just thought that was cool that she went to SCAD. Me too. too. And that's pretty much all I have. Okay, would you like to read some one-star reviews? Yes. I found some goodies. Oh, good. Um, This first one, I edited a lot. It was a long, ranty one. But it had some gems in it. And this person clearly was writing this review as they were reading the book. <laughs> so I have to tell you, I read the whole review and they did actually finish it. But you're going to read, like, edit edit one, edit two. Okay. <laughs> Here you go. This is from The Small Moth. S-M-O-L. I don't, I don't the know. The Small Moth. 
I read a couple of chapters, but I may need to DNF because a medieval gown was described as having cap sleeves, and I'm traumatized now. <laughs> Edit. Oh, you don't think she's wearing a corset? You don't say. I wouldn't think she would be wearing a corset either, considering corsets weren't really a thing until the 19th century. This is in all caps. Yes. Edit two. I don't think Morgana, a witch from the medieval era, would swear by maiden mother and crone. That's a 20th century thing. <laughs> Edit three. I don't know what gave anyone the idea that medieval people were so blushing and reticent that they wouldn't even mention the concept of virginity in front of a teenage girl, but let me assure you, they were not. Also, Morgana destroying the tapestry is such a dick move. <laughs> Embroidery is so hard. If you had to work on that, I would have learned magic to personally kick Morgana's ass into a ditch. <laughs> I just love how salty this person was. <laughs> About all the dresses and the embroidery and the historical inaccuracies. Uh, one of the <laughs> reviews I read, not like a Goodreads review, but like an article of like a book reviewer. Yeah. Um, they were they had a lot of praise for the book, and at the end they were like, "You could find some what is it called in some anachronisms." Anachronisms. Mm -hmm. um, he said like. The keen eye could find some anachronisms. Well, the small moth has a keen, a keen eye. eye. Yes. I was just cracking up at how upset they were getting. <laughs> Listen, as an embroiderer, and Hannah and I both love cross-stitching, yes. and we've both like worked on really big cross-stitch projects. Yes. Honestly, if someone did tear that up, they would have to fight me. Yep. I, I felt seen by that, so yeah. I had to include I'm it. I'm working on one that's going to, like, if... The last six months are any indication. It's going to take me, like, three years. If I mm -hmm. finish that, if my house catches fire, I'm getting Maggie and that. Like, <laughs> Sorry, Kyle. <laughs> He's got legs. I mean... <laughs> He'll be fine. I figured he was on his way out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that. Amber. Mm -hmm. Spelled with a Y. Yeah. Okay. There's an inkling of a compelling idea here in an oracle tormented by a thousand competing possible futures. Unfortunately, the blandest possible world building and characters whose political acumen is so terrible I wouldn't trust them on student council of a high school, much less as rulers of a kingdom, drown out any hint of interest to me. So, no <laughs> Arthur for student council president. No, no. This is from Dwight. Arthurian legend made into Tumblr girl boss werewolf bullshit. The author said she started writing this as a teen, and let me tell you, that much is glaringly obvious. I mean, I know all Arthurian legend is fanfic, but at least I didn't have werewolves. At least it didn't have werewolves. I liked the werewolves. I did too. I thought they were cool. Like, these, these are not your Twilight werewolves. No, they're not. But I get... I get how that could turn somebody off. Sure. It does take a turn. <laughs> yeah, but that seems really cool. I liked it. From Patty. DNF at 35%. I'm more than half sick of how dramatic this book is for me. <laughs> I was expecting something really magical. Instead, it's constant court dialogue and just that just drones on and on. Seriously, I don't care what the wardrobes looked like or the level of discomfort caused by the dresses. It's also repetitive. I get it already. How many times are we going to revisit the vision of Lancelot and Guinevere having an affair? I won't find out because I'm done. And how many times is the author going to use the line, I say so quietly that I'm not sure he heard me at all. This is a terrible line and should be used in a so-called feminist novel. Speak up, Elaine! Anyway, the dialogue is tedious. Elaine... Lance and Elaine are insufferable, and this reads like Days of Our Lives, the Camelot special. <laughs> Days of Our Lives. I love that callback, too, since we did speak last week. So yeah. Speak up, Elaine. Speak up, Elaine. She did use some lines a yeah. lot. This was over 400 pages, and it probably could have used a little bit of editing. Sure. But I still I enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, even when I read this book, I, I didn't think it was a perfect book. But right. I thought you would like it because it was slow and yep. character driven and is. based on a famous English text. I might have liked it more if I knew more of the Arthurian legend. Yeah. Or I don't know, maybe I would have liked it less because she did so many yeah. divergent things that yeah. I would have been like, that's not how this works. But those are the reasons that I thought you would like it. Yeah. So it was a fun read. I don't. I mean, I would recommend it to people. Yeah. If this is their jam. Yeah. If that's your jam. If you're into cool werewolves. Yeah, it was it was super cool uh, and <laughs> horrific. So we're gonna mix it up again next week. Yeah, what are we doing? So the next two books, we're going to swap places. 
we are each going to assign each other a book that we personally did not like, but that we think our co-host will like. So we're still going to have, in theory, a person who liked the book and a person who didn't. And if we both hate the book, then I guess we just ha go on a huge I, rant about how yeah, much it sucks. This could go wrong, but we're going to give I it mean, a shot. Surely you're only here if you like listening to us complain. I, so I hope so. Um, so the book I assigned Stephanie next week that I did not like, but I think she will like at least more than me, is The Power by Naomi Alderman. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, me too. Thank you for listening to You Might Hate This Book. Join us again next week for more discussion of the books we love. And the books we also love. Yeah. <laughs> you can help others find this podcast by leaving a review and five-star rating. And don't forget to hit subscribe. You can offer additional support and earn cool perks by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash hatethisbookpod. Special thanks to Montague Workshop. See you next week. Bye. Shall I summarize it for us? Please do shall. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, English teacher. <laughs> it's summer. So I don't have to speak English in the summer. Nope. Nope. Okay.